So if you, uh, if you actually pay attention to the newsletter and read it, it would have told you that I was going to talk today about co cultural counterfeits. And that was the plan. It was going to be on good and evil. And uh, up until Friday night, till about 9 o'clock, uh, that was the plan. And then God changed it. And uh, if, if you uh, doubt it took me faith to, to commit a week ahead of time to preaching, you can imagine my fright when God gave me a day uh, to prepare this message. So all it meant is I had to cry out to him and, and trust him to pull this together. Um, I do want to thank everybody who's been praying for me. Um, and sorry, yesterday I know a couple of you reached out to me and I was unavailable. Um, a little bit preoccupied, but I'll get back to you. But, uh, so this morning um, we are going to talk about uh, gospel community. Um, and I have five points today, which I know is two more than I should, so I'll be asking for forgiveness at the next elders meeting. Uh, but the five points, which actually also apply to a family, applies in, in place of elders. It's the husband and the father and the family that also has the role of the elder in gospel community. But the five points are, one is pride, the killer of gospel community, humility, the requirement for gospel community, unity, what gospel community looks like, Forgiveness and reconciliation, the restoration of gospel community. And lastly, the accountability and responsibility of elders, the stewards of gospel community. Scripture today, I want to reference uh, for starts, is the unity in the body of Christ comes from Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we cry out to you this morning because we need your grace. We, we need your Spirit to lead us into understanding of your truth. We thank you that we have your Spirit. We thank you for the promise that that is what your Spirit is for. So we claim that promise this morning, and we ask you, Lord, to reveal truth for us. And apply it to our hearts. Lord, I, I pray for grace for speaker and hearer alike. The Lord, you would guide my lips. That you would keep any words that I'm not to speak from me. And if I do, you would keep it from the hearer's ears. We pray, Lord, you would bless this time together. That you would be glorified. And again, your word and your message only would be proclaimed this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so to start, one, pride. The gospel community killer. Pride is not just a major problem in our culture, which, of course, this month highlights the blatant um, celebration of it, which, if I get to good and evil someday, I'll elaborate on that more. It is truly an evil that's being called good. But pride is also a problem in our hearts and, therefore, in our church, and no one is immune. Pride comes in many forms, but from the same source. It's self-exaltation over God. Mike spoke on hatred last week and referred to where pride results in hatred when putting ourselves above someone else, when feeling superior, and in particular when it comes to scriptural or spiritual things, um, the Pharisees may come to mind, but we do the same thing. Spurgeon says that there is nothing into which the heart of man so easily falls as pride, and yet there is no vice which is more frequently, more emphatically, and more eloquently condemned in scripture. Kind of going over the description of pride, and some of this is a mix of uh, Spurgeon and, and Randy Arnold. Um, <laughs> pride is groundless. We really have no reason and nothing to be proud of. We are frail. We are, we are frail. 
beings, right? We are not going to be around long. We don't have anything to be proud of. It is useless. It brings no profit and has fleeting pleasures. And for any brief sense of superiority or righteousness, it quickly fades and must be rekindled with with effort and a fight to deny the conscience that convicts us of our inferiority and our unrighteousness. Pride is senseless. It feeds on itself. It takes away life, causing us to use the energy to sustain the image our wicked heart has created and seeks to maintain. It costs us rest. It costs us peace. It costs us contentment. It is consumed with what others think. It responds in elation when we're praised and in despair when we're criticized. It constantly is trying to defend itself, its reputation, its honor, its standing before men. It's never satisfied. Pride is exhausting. It constantly needs to be fed. And the flesh is never satisfied. It's also ugly. It expects and demands others to glorify the one who wears it. But others can see that it's ugly. And we are repulsed when we see pride in others, but yet somehow we think we wear it better than them or we don't see it in ourselves. Take any athlete, right? If you, have, if you see some of these superstars, I won't name any names, but those that bring attention to themselves, those that take credit for their talent and their abilities, do you honor those? It's like, no, it's repulsive. You look at an athlete who is at the top of their game and they give God the honor, we want to honor them because they're honoring God with who they are and what, they have, what they're able to do. The consequence of pride, the consequence of pride is destruction. But humility, it says, comes before honor. Um, in, in Proverbs, 12, Proverbs 18, 12, it says, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. There are plenty of examples in the scripture of destruction from pride. We think of David, who wanted to number the people to show how great his empire was. It led in pestilence to the people. You think of Hezekiah, who was proud of his wealth, and he bragged to the Babylonian ambassador and showed them all of his wealth. What happened? God took his treasures away. We think of Nebuchadnezzar, who bragged of the kingdom he built for his glory. God made him like an ox eating grass. Destruction comes from pride. Pride destroys gospel community because it isn't relying on the gospel at all. It becomes a group of people more concerned with self than with others and with God's glory. Pride replaces the glory of God for the glory of man. As we pursue the honor and reputation that comes from men, we do not seek and we cannot receive the glory that comes from God. John 5, 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Andrew Murray in his book, Humility, says that pride renders faith impossible. It's because pride replaces faith. It reveals that we are depending on ourselves instead of God. Andrew Murray goes on to say, we, do, we, be, we need only think for a moment what faith is. Is it not the confession of nothingness and helplessness, the surrender and the waiting to let God work? Is it not the most humbling thing there can be? The acceptance of our place as dependents who can claim or get or do nothing but what grace bestows. Calling out pride, we need to be careful. Right? We need not to be hastily calling other people's pride out, for we need to examine ourselves first. We need to, the log of pride may be in our eye before we attempt to address it in someone else's. 
We also may be addressing someone else's pride or assuming someone else's pride based on our own. We may be trying to push someone down to lift ourselves up, so we must be very careful. Or we may be just misunderstanding or have wrong assumptions. One example I'll say is a, a person who's attended this church for years, and we've had interactions on occasion, but very superficial and brief. And a couple of months ago, we had a, a really good conversation uh, after church and had a really good talk. And he left with these words. It's really nice talking with you. I always thought you were stuck up. <laughs> which I interpreted full of pride, which I felt quite bad that I left that impression I had no, no intentions of. Um, it may have just been my normal, awkward, introverted engineering self that sometimes comes out, um, but it was not to exhibit pride, and if it was, I would definitely want to know that. So if you think I'm prideful, let's talk. Um, so <laughs> uh, the, the gospel community, uh, to exist, we do have to call each other's pride out, and we have to be willing to have our pride called out because it will continue to interfere with gospel community. Humility, the requirement for gospel community. The replacement of pride with humility is really the replacement of self with God. Pride of the flesh, pride is of the flesh, and it seeks to serve the flesh. Humility comes through the death of our flesh. And it turns our attention to the flesh off of us and onto God. Uh, it turns our attention off the flesh and onto God and others. Humility does. Um, it has been uh, noted that Christ's boundless humility is what led him to die for us. In Philippians 3, 5 to 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by the taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But if you ask, if humility is the death of the flesh, how can I die to myself? Andrew Murray has the answer. The death to self is not your work. It is the work of God. In Christ, you are dead in sin. The life there is in you has gone through the process of death and resurrection. You may be sure that you are indeed dead to sin. But the full manifestation of the power of this death in your disposition and conduct depends on the measure in which the Holy Spirit imparts the power of the death of Christ. In Romans 6.11, it says, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul states a familiar verse in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And as Christ put the needs of others before himself, he calls us to do the same. In Philippians 2.3-8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And again in Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. As I was looking at this, have you ever wondered why humility is not a fruit of the Spirit? We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
but not humility. Why would that be? I contend it's because the fruit must grow in the soil of humility, depending on and allowing God through the Holy Spirit to be the source of that fruit. He must be. We must trust in and depend on the grace of God alone to produce that fruit. Humility is the yielding to the Holy Spirit to allow the Spirit to work. It is the fertile ground in which the Spirit can produce that fruit. Unless the motive is for God's glory and the work is led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, there will be no fruit. Pride spoils fruit. In fact, pride produces only bad fruit because it is our works in the flesh and for our glory. In fact, it's not fruit at all. We know what it is. It's filthy rags, and God will have none of it. Unity, what the gospel looks like. Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, says, Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10b says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. All that we are to do for others, we can because, one, God has done it for us, and, two, he has equipped us through Christ to do it for one another. We show mercy because we have received mercy. We love because we have been first loved. We forgive because we have been forgiven much. God taught us to encounter one another as God has encountered us in Christ. In Romans 15, 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We are to love one another with the goal of maintaining unity and peace. Ephesians 4, 2-3, I mentioned before, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Bonhoeffer goes on to say that Christian community is not an ideal, but a divine reality. It is a spiritual and not an emotional reality. In Ephesians further in chapter 4, 4 to 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in our spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And gospel community is good. In Psalm 133, 1, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Point four, forgiveness and reconciliation. It's the rest, or yes, it's the restoration of the gospel community when it is broken or fractured. Repentance and forgiveness are required for reconciliation, which only occurs when we are humble, when we approach it with humility. Pride resists repentance through denying or justifying our sin, and we refuse to offer forgiveness. Bonhoeffer, again in Life Together, says, Without Christ, there is discord between God and humanity and between one human being and another. Christ has become the mediator who has made peace with God and peace among human beings. You see, only in Christ Jesus are we one, and only through him are we bound together. He remains in the one and only me- he remains the one and only mediator throughout all eternity. 
We are dependent on Christ and Christ working in us for unity with God and with one another. And while we strive for and we must strive for and be agents of unity, and that comes from being both peacemakers and agents of reconciliation. So in 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Mark 5.9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We must test our motives when conflicts arise. Is it to prove ourselves right, or is it to achieve reconciliation and restore peace? We know um, Matthew 18 Right? When sin arises, the goal has to be reconciliation fueled by repentance and forgiveness. And we want to follow the model of Matthew 18, where when a brother or sister sins against you, go and speak with that brother and sister. And pray grace would be with both of you as you confront that sin. And if it cannot be reconciled, then it says to resolve it, take one or two others. And if at that point it can still not be resolved, then bring it to the church. For sin must be addressed since it's a contamination of the gospel of community, and it divides us. Last point five, accountability and responsibility of the elders as stewards of gospel community. So 1 Peter 1a and 2a say, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 1 Peter 5.5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Elders are in a position of authority and responsibility to shepherd and protect and sacrifice for the flock. Elders need to be the example of humility, of peacemakers, of striving for unity and trusting in the gospel. And living by grace for the ability to lead with humility, discernment, and truth, always motivated by the love of Christ. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, humility is demonstrated by submission, and the church can't have competing leaders. Elders are responsible to keep watch. That includes feeding and protecting the sheep, but it also includes keeping false doctrine out and staying true to the gospel. It means being agent to resolve conflict and address sin. And all we do, it says, do with joy and not with groaning. Uh, I have to confess, I sometimes need a reminder. I sometimes need God's grace not to groan. Uh, but there's a verse that God uh, brings to mind, and I've uh, posted it uh, to maintain that joy. And that verse, which, which applies to everybody who serves, is in Deuteronomy 28, 47, and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things... Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Clearly, this was, was those who have been gone, gone astray and, and had no um, honor of God, no respect for God, no um, desire to really serve God. Uh, of course, joy does not come from ourselves. We don't manufacture it. It comes from the Lord. And it is an outcome of our relationship with Christ. So we need to draw near to, to Christ, uh, to Jesus, when we're lack of joy and receive it from him. Isaiah twenty nine nineteen says, The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. 
Elders and all teachers must approach the word of God with soberness and some trepidation uh, because of the stricter judgment that we'll be under. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that you, will te- you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We also are called to rightfully handle the word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to represent yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightfully handling the word of truth. There's also instructions in the church if there is a concern with an elder. 1 Timothy 5.19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the elders are not above being challenged or approached. And finally, in regards to accountability, uh, uh, Strzok, in his biblical eldership book, says, the better we understand biblical doctrine of sin, the stronger our commitment to accountability will be. See, we should all be willing to be held accountable, and we should all realize we need accountability, for sin blinds us. And the elders are no exception. In fact, one of the main reasons for the plurality of elders is to hold one another accountable. And I can assure this has been done. I think all of us have gone through um, the, the need to be held accountable, the being held accountable, and the need to be asked for forgiveness when we have you know, not lived up to our position in Christ. So the application today, uh, application would be that we, may we not lift ourselves up. In James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And we are, talked, we are told to walk in humility. We need to ask God to reveal any pride that is in our heart. And walk in humility with Micah 6.8 tells us, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Also, let us remember God's grace is for the humble. James 4, 6, which is somewhat of a repeat of 1 Peter that we referenced also, says it again in James, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And also, let us love one another. In John 13:34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And seek to be peacemakers and to live in peace. Romans 12:18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And lastly, pray. Pray for the church. Pray for all who lead and serve in this church that they would serve with one another with humility, with grace, with joy, and with the love of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the instruction of your word, how your word equips us, how you lead us to be more like Christ. And that is our heart's desire this morning. But Lord, we leave here with a focus on you and a focus on how we can love each other. And we are a testimony to the world, for they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love for one another. And for the unity of the spirit that exists within your body, we want that for this church, and we ask you for that. And Lord, we thank you that we can reach out to you, that we can call upon you, and then we can receive from you the ability to be humble, the ability to serve, the ability to love. We thank you for your word.
and for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so this morning we are going to have communion. Um, so just a reminder of what this, I think we know, but what this table represents. Um, it is what is a reminder of how we have unity in Christ. Um, that Christ did humble himself unto death on behalf of our, on behalf of us, um, to take what was rightfully ours, the, the punishment, the wrath of God on himself, that we could be forgiven of our pride and of our sin, and that we could be free of the flesh, of the sin that we are, were in bondage to before we submitted to him. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26, it says, For I received from the Lord that, that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you have submitted your life to Christ, received him as Lord and Savior, we welcome you to partake. Salvation is available for everybody, but these elements are for those who believe and have surrendered their life to Christ. For the Bible says that if you take of them and you have not, you can take, uh, you can welcome judgment on yourself. So, and if you're not saved, please come see me or Mike or one of the prayer team uh, members after church and we can talk about it. So we have changed the format a little bit to improve logistics. Um, we actually have one, each side to come down the center. There's two tables here, this side for this table and this side for this one. Come take the elements and then go around back to your seat. We have uh, bread, and then we have, for gluten-free, uh, options, some crackers in uh, the, the bowl here. So please come with reflection of what God has done for you. That's a soberness, but it's also rejoicing. It's a soberness of what it took to redeem us, and it's a joy of all that was accomplished and the sufficiency in Christ that we now have, and also the joy and hope we have of Jesus' return. So come.